Welcome to Bachelor in Retrospect. I'm Carrie Rosen. I'm a comedy writer. And I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Navarre-Gill, a media studies professor. We're longtime friends and Bachelor fans. And in this podcast, we're going way back in Bachelor history, recapping old seasons and taking Bachelor deep dives to look at how the Bachelor franchise has evolved and how we can see the world evolve through the show. Join us on our journey through rose ceremonies, weird failed spinoffs, and most dramatic endings ever as we look at The Bachelor in retrospect. Hi, welcome back to Bachelor in Retrospect. This is the third and final episode of Jason Mesnick's season, and it's been quite a ride. We've discovered feelings. Yeah, Carrie fell in love. When I started this, I didn't think I'd actually fall for someone. I mean, you'd never know what to expect on this magical romantic journey. I just thought it was going to be an interesting adventure. So, yeah, let's dive into our last three episodes, four. But before we start, I wanted to just kind of check in about what story the show has been telling us up until this point. Because... They are not subtly trying to shape the narrative. And I want to see in 2009 what they thought the best story was. And it very much seems to be a pro-Melissa, basically this dichotomy where Melissa is this perfect woman. I think it's largely because she is a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. And it's like, oh, she looks like a cheerleader, but she also really wants to settle down and have a family. They're constantly replaying that clip where... She says she wants to be a first grade teacher. And Jason says, what would you do in the summer? And she says, play with my kids. They keep playing that over and over again as proof of what a cat she is. And Jason thinks, oh, wow, you know, I judged her when I first saw her because she was a cheerleader. But she really is the perfect woman because she actually wants to teach first grade and be a mom. And in the meantime, Molly's being kind of framed as this. Like, their physical connection is super strong, but can she really express how she feels? Such a focus on, man, I don't know what she's feeling, but her eyes are so beautiful. It's just, it's interesting to me, we've had so many seasons since where there is someone who really fits the mold of the Bachelor, or Bachelor super attracted to them, but they're maybe not the most solid partner. Molly does not seem to be that way to me at all. Molly has seemed much more focused on her connection with Jason. She's really into Jason. She's pursuing Jason a lot. And I think that's been framed as, oh, but does she really care about settling down and having a family? Um, Anne-Marie, how are you feeling going into this? I absolutely agree with everything you just said. I think there's like a very, the dichotomy that they're setting up between these two women plays very strangely to me in 2023 and I think looking back at what the conversation was at the time as I have been doing a lot this week you see a lot of like the other women in their exit interviews and you know bloggers and stuff talking about how Melissa is just America's sweetheart and I think like you're absolutely on point when you talk about how this is connected to her being a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader Because I still am, like, stuck on the fact that the first shot that this show did of their, you know, their wifey character was of her chest, no head, no no legs, just boobs. We still don't even know if she has a head. They very much have set her up as this idealized wifey character and Molly as not. And the thing is, I actually, like, I don't think that they're that different. No. At all. I think they both, they're both about the same age. 
both sort of at the same place in their career. They both went on to have extremely similar careers after the show. They're one year apart in age, but it's framed as Molly still has all this life ahead of her. She longs for adventure. Is she really ready to settle down? And Melissa, age 25, absolutely is. And Molly, I feel like, right, like she's very much been framed in her relationship with Jason through like their shared hobbies and they're having fun and they have this like really great basis for friendship and all these things in common, right, alongside their relationship. And I think ultimately that's why it does work between them because they have so much in common. And it reminded me so much of a Bachelor season we'll get to later, a couple seasons down the road from here, which is Brad Womack's season, Mm -hmm. where his final choice is between the sort of more, like, tomboyish, less emotionally expressive Chantal, who he has tons in common with, and they just seem to have a blast, and then this, like, idealized womanhood figure in Single Mom Emily. And it's all like, oh, well, that's obviously the right choice. And I... In both of those cases, I was like, why are you choosing the one who's like this stereotypical woman image instead of the one that you're like connected to on a personal level? And it very much sort of spoke to me as of just like presenting these women as trophies rather than partners. When we'll get to it, but with Brad Womack, there was much more of a, oh man, if I don't pick this woman, America's going to hate me and everyone already does. And I do think... Brad Womack is not not influential in this season either, and we'll discuss that. Yeah, Brad Womack, I think, is one of the most important off-screen presences. Yes. Brad Womack was The Bachelor two seasons before Jason, didn't pick either woman, and then returned to be The Bachelor a few years later, did get engaged that time to Emily Maynard, who was a post-Stephanie widow with a tragic story. And they lasted maybe a few months. And it very much like him, him looking at back at it now, him picking her and the way that the show presents it, it doesn't make sense. But he was sort of going with the fact that there had been an audience reaction and audience reaction, I think, is going to be a big theme throughout this episode today, because when Brad was The Bachelor and he chose no one, this was one of those times when The Bachelor... I mean, The Bachelor kind of always becomes the most hated man in America. Yeah. But I think this is really, like, one of the first times that people are doing that. And so I was looking at some of the stuff people were saying about Brad after the end of his first season. And I found this article that had, like, rounded up comments from the now-defunct official ABC Bachelor message board. And (laughs) fans were saying things like... I've been watching this show since the beginning, and this is the first time I truly feel betrayed that the show didn't go to its premise. And so while not every Bachelor, and in fact, most of them hadn't actually gotten engaged up to that point when Brad was first The Bachelor on season 11, he did not follow through with sort of the social contract of the show of leaving in a relationship of falling in love on this journey. And by walking away alone... He became this villainous figure that people hated because he did not give the audience a sort of like emotional payoff catharsis that you're supposed to get at the end of the season when The Bachelor is in love. So keep that in mind. Another thing I wanted to bring up is there's a lot of Melissa can show her feelings and Molly can't. And Molly has repeatedly told Jason how much she cares about him, how much she loves him. She's in love with him. He's her soulmate. What she doesn't do is fall apart. Melissa does. 
And thinking in terms of what's going on behind the scenes, there is this feeling that women crying is good TV. The genesis of The Bachelor basically was, let's watch some women lose their minds. In present day on The Bachelor, there's a real premium on being vulnerable. But presently, it means more like, share something tragic about your life. And women are often sent in on their dates being like, and there's something I have to tell him about myself. And it's the reveal that like, my parents are divorced. <laughs> it's usually <laughs> not that bad. But it's interesting here that be vulnerable seems to more mean show him you care by being really shaken up by this process. And I think that will be a good thing to watch evolve of what being vulnerable means. I think, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And I guess the fact that, you know, very much here, like crying and being upset is seen as confident and strong feelings. Melissa crying is seen as the sign that she is really, really like falling for Jason. And she feels like obviously very insecure in this emotion. And I think maybe thinking, you know, even just on my own life experiences, I think when you're like so in love with somebody that it makes you cry, that's actually like a big red flag. And Molly, who is very secure in their connection, feels secure. And I feel like that's a big green flag. I was constantly crying in 2009 and I wish I'd known that was so desirable. So we ready to start talking about The Women Tell All, which is one of our favorite episodes to watch back in retrospect. Yes. Okay. Women Tell All is usually the worst episode of the season when you're watching a season live. Although last season on Zach's Men Tell All, that was my favorite episode of the season. Mm -hmm. But when you're watching Bachelor from a really long time ago, these are actually kind of the best time capsules of the whole yeah. series. Anything where there's interaction with the current audience rather than just being in the world of when the show was filmed. Fascinating. So this woman tell all starts with a pre-taped sit down with Jason and Chris Harrison, which I don't think we really do in the modern era. They're like, boy, how's the season been going? And they talk about the drama on the general hospital date, which I think for us and for Jason feels like a lifetime ago. They talk about how amazing it was when they surprised Stephanie by bringing in her daughter on her birthday. And if I never hear about that again, it'll be too soon. Jason says it was a real Oprah-type moment, which like, okay, Jason, come on. <laughs> You're not Oprah. Then Chris is like, so how about Naomi's family? And they replay the Dove funeral because Chris loves to dunk on weirdos. But Jason's like, that was only part of the date. And then they quickly cut back to Chris saying, so what about Jillian? And I, that really made me feel like he talked about Naomi's dad and the Jesus stuff, and they cut it out. It definitely, even I looked back at some retrospectives of when they did a shortened version of the season in one night during that greatest seasons ever mm -hmm. COVID special. Uh -huh. And once again, they like really didn't want Jason to talk about the religious no. stuff. They only no. want to talk about the hula hoops and the weird dead dove. Yeah. Um, then there's like a weird locker room talk section where Chris is like, so... Jason, how about that night in the hot tub with Jillian? He says, Cinemax called. They said it was too hot. Chris himself was embarrassed to watch. Poor Chris Harrison and your delicate sensibility. And Chris says the most important question he's going to ask Jason tonight, the biggest question on everyone's mind. Here I think it's going to be, who does he pick? What's going on? But he says, what happened inside the tent on Molly and Jason's camping date? 
I was so surprised to hear that this was a thing on America's mind or whatever, because it really was a non-event on the show. The women were jealous right after, but it never really came up again. Jason says it was an innocent date, you know, with the shooting schedule. They were only in the tent for about three hours. Chris Harrison says three hours is a lot of sex. (laughs) He asked Jason how far they went in baseball terms. Jason says first base. Then they cut back to Chris in front of the studio audience. And he goes, you all thought it went farther than that, didn't you? Ugh. Oh, this Chris being a body locker, bro, was just wild. To me, it made me so uncomfortable. You guys cannot see the faces I've been making through Carrie describing this conversation. But they've been hideous. And I think it's very important that we haven't shifted from that pure Chris that they brought in at the beginning to be Alex Michelle's buddy to dad Chris. Like he hasn't gone through that metamorphosis and this is the clearest sign we've seen of that so far this season. It also feels so weird and gross to me that he feels like this is something that he is in on with America. I neither found evidence that was true or not true. Am I Yeah, I'm curious to know. Up? Like it was notable that they did an overnight date that early in the show, but I didn't find much evidence that it was like a huge topic of conversation however it can sometimes be hard to capture stuff that was happening on the internet that long ago accurately and so i can't say for certain that it wasn't but i didn't find evidence that it was something we'll be i'll be asking Anne-Marie about a lot and we will kind of be tracking is when twitter becomes the main source of feedback about the bachelor and where on earth they got their feedback before twitter And 2009, Twitter existed, but wasn't really like live tweeting shows wasn't a thing yet, right? I would say it was a thing for sure, but it wasn't like necessarily top of mind in the television industry yet. Wasn't something that people were necessarily thinking about when you're sitting doing production on a show. But that said, and this is going to come up a lot as we track what's going on with this episode, This was very much the era of blogs and message boards. And so ABC has, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, they have an official message board on ABC.com where fans can kind of talk to each other and talk about the shows. That's one source that they have of information. There are, are, you know, other popular TV message boards like Television Without Pity was a big one where people are talking about TV at this time. You also have sort of like a very broad ecosystem of blogs where people are writing their thoughts and having exchanges and comment sections and expressing their opinion in that way. Again, a lot of this is sort of lost in the internet sands of time unless you know exactly what you're looking for. But I'll be bringing in a few of these blogs as we go throughout this episode. And I am excited. The other thing to remember, though, is that just because this this like era of internet feedback is kind of in its early years where it's really taking shape doesn't mean that the idea of thinking about what the audience was thinking wasn't incredibly important to television production and television networks at this time. This is something that as long as there has been television, they have been investing a great deal of resources to gain knowledge about the audience, what they're thinking, what their reaction is. And so some of this is done, you know, and still today is done, using kind of traditional research methods, using test audiences, doing surveys, things like this. But that's more kind of accessible to the people that are doing research for a network and maybe a studio 
than it is to the people that are working on the show day to day. Yeah. And so a lot of what people are absorbing as the quote unquote discourse around whatever's being shown on TV is coming from either sort of publications where people are writing about it or just their own kind of general knowledge of their social world, what their friends are saying, what their kids are saying, what their kids' friends are saying. And so this is a lot of times Hollywood people getting the reactions of other Hollywood people and having it inform their opinion of how the general public is reacting. So basically what I'm saying is audience knowledge is a very imperfect science to this day, even with all the sources that we have. But that's sort of like what the broad picture of types of information that people would be drawing on to make the claims that we hear Chris Harrison making throughout these episodes about what America is thinking and how America is reacting. It is both part of the conversation and sort of trying to guide it. And to this day, magazines have kind of connections with the show where, you know, they get the first interview with the couple or whatever. And there is kind of a nice arrangement where magazines are kind of perpetuating the story that the show wants out there. So the show is kind of controlling the narrative in some ways, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that would be more of a case where they're working their public relations arm and their public relations department's relationships with these publications to get stories out there, send out press releases. Obviously, that work is complicated by the amount of conversation that there is on social media about this or any television show, but they are doing what they can to shape the narrative and shape the reaction to look the way that is, you know, most useful to them in whatever form it takes. And I think arguably, and one reason that we see the vilification of almost every franchise lead by the end of their season is because what the show needs is a hero for their next season. And to create a hero for their new season, they need to like, you know, have something be done wrong by the previous lead in order to set up the arc for the next season to kind of, you know, keep the money wheels churning. In Women Tell All Time, the show shows us some fun moments of the season that the audience didn't get to see. This is notable because a bunch of them were of Molly, which made me wonder, are they prepping for us to be pro-Molly? I don't know. They show a moment of them in their fantasy suite bubble bath, and the drain starts making these weird noises. And that was the tag last episode. So that's a fun moment we already did get to see. So now in the studio, Chris gives us a little thing where he says, we've had many couples come out of The Bachelor, and as in real life, some stay together and some don't. But what's undeniable, whether they break up or not, is that the feelings they have for each other are true and that their love is real. This is an extremely generous read of the fact that almost every couple from the franchise has broken up. (laughs) At this point, the only couple that has gotten married is Tristan and Ryan, so they do a video check-in on them. I feel like half of The Bachelor pre-2014 or so is checking in on Tristan and Ryan. They're pregnant with their second child. They talk about how amazing having kids is. Trista thinks Jason should choose Melissa based on what she's seen. So then Chris says, there's a misconception out there that Trista and Ryan are the only successful Bachelor couple. And that's not true at all. They bring out former Bachelor Charlie O'Connell, brother of Jerry O'Connell, and his season winner, Sarah Bryce. They broke up after two years, mostly because of Charlie's drinking. And then they got back together a year later after Sarah saw Charlie dressed as Garfield at a Halloween party. (laughs) He's sober now. Yeah, yeah. 
they their still problems break, are gone. But they break up like a year after this. Yeah, they broke up in 2010. But still, pretty good run. Then they do a segment showing how people from past Bachelor and Bachelorette seasons have started hanging out and having these wild parties where they all hook up with each other. Jesse, who Deanna chose over Jason, is heavily featured. Everyone's like, Jesse seems great. I don't think he's hung up on Deanna. And then it's also a show that he's dating someone named Holly who's from The Bachelor. This must suck for Deanna to see. I didn't really get this segment, but then I was like, you know what? They didn't really, they didn't have Instagram then. There was no Bachelor Pad or Bachelor in Paradise. If all the Bachelor contestants were off the grid for me, and then they were like surprised they all hang out and hook up with each other, I would be fascinated. I think that if I was a fan, I would have absolutely found this delightful filmed reunion parties where everyone gets drunk and hooked up at the Women or Men Tell All is a hallmark of this era of the show. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a precursor to Bachelor Pad and the spinoffs and how they're going to keep bringing these people back to TV. I do think this is this reunion is notable. I imagine these reunions are a relatively new thing because while we're on Bachelor season 13, at this point, there's only been four Bachelorette seasons. And there wasn't a Bachelorette for years before Dia. So we must only recently be at a point where there is enough alumni from each show to have this culture. And pretty yeah. soon after it becomes a regular thing, Bachelor Pat is born. So finally, they bring out the women from Jason's season. For Women Tell All, we've seen very little of the women. This was like more than halfway through the episode that we finally got to the women. And it doesn't even last very long. It was, I was not impressed. The women tell some, if, if any. Jillian and Stephanie get the most applause. Chris says, it happens every year. You start out with 25 beautiful, seemingly normal women. Next thing you know, you've got yourself some drama. They play like a clip show of dramatic moments and it ends with Shannon going, it's crazy living with all these girls. And that's kind of our takeaway. Chris asks Stephanie to weigh in since she always stayed above the fray. And Stephanie's like, I just don't participate in negative talk. Something I've been kind of surprised based on the very confusing way, as we've discussed that the show um, portrayed her, is that she really actually was a fan favorite in 2009. Mm -hmm. Largely Mm -hmm. because of the fact that she stayed above the drama. So I don't think anyone is like rooting for her and Jason to get together, but they thought she was classy. Then Natalie is called up to the hot seat. There's this whole focus on Natalie that's surprising to me because I didn't remember her having a lot of drama with the women. There was a real feeling of women, especially Nikki, going, I don't know if Jason could like me if he's interested in Natalie because we're so different. But she wasn't really involved in a lot of fights. But now we're being told Natalie was a big source of drama. Chris goes after her really hard. This made me so mad. Yeah. So first of all, I just want to point out, Natalie is wearing jeans. Yeah. She's wearing jeans and these like black plastic bracelets. And Chris goes, boy, you must have been bummed to have to give up those jewels. And Natalie is like, oh, I don't like jewelry that much. This is a reference to the million dollar diamond she wore on her date to Vegas. And Chris points to her janky like black plastic bracelets and is like oh really you don't like jewelry like that's comparable to diamonds and so natalie explains that she has an allergy to metals and so she actually doesn't like jewelry and i as someone who doesn't wear jewelry because i have an allergy to all metals except platinum it pissed me off so much that chris went after her for this as if she's like being just a dramatic hypocrite so natalie makes the fair point that you know if she did have any conflict 
know, it's hard to be trapped in a house, like cut off for all your things. She missed her Blackberry and her iPod. And Chris goes, oh, so we took away your superficial things. And he seems so proud of himself because that's a reference to Jason saying Natalie seemed to care more about superficial things. And everyone in the audience is like, he got her. And he then he also asks Natalie if she's someone who thinks she's laid back and easygoing and actually isn't. And everyone applauds. Natalie's even like, Chris, you have to calm down, which is great. Chris asks if the problem she had with the other woman could be the same issues Jason had a problem with. This is just too much for this woman. He's so, so nasty. Mean. I've never like loved Chris's demeanor, but the way that he goes after this woman for nothing. Yeah. I'm interested to see when we watch the seasons that we watch in real time, did he change or were we just kind of not as aware of it? And I also was curious, Anne-Marie, like I thought this was a discussion. I was trying to imagine when Chris is prepping for Women Tell All, is there someone telling him you should really give the women a hard time? Like, why why does anyone think this is good television? And then I'm like, I think it, maybe back then it was. And... W- were there other reality shows on in 2009 or anything like that that set up this like a thing in TV was these like women being held accountable for their for their actions? Is there anything similar you can think of? I mean, women being held accountable for their actions, I feel like is sort of the foundational principle of almost all reality TV. True. <laughs> and and I I think, you know, if you think about even some of the like some of the other shows that were big at this time like biggest loser and stuff right it like shame is fundamental yes it's to reality tv and it is and it is even to this day it is one of the fundamental pleasures of consuming it so like for, for example just now in 2023 the world has been lit ablaze by vanderpump rules and the scandal and it is all about shame the entire bravo and real housewives ecosystem that vanderpump rules comes out of all of it is about sort of like setting these people up into conflicts and then holding these reunions that are designed to sort of be their trial and hold them accountable for everything that they did or said that was bad. So like shame and being held to account is the fundamental like viewer pleasure of reality TV. However, right, I think to make it genuinely like an enjoyable in that kind of vicarious way that like maybe we feel a little bad about ourselves that this is what entertaining but like we can't look away um it has to be something like scandal where the people have done something that was really really wrong natalie was like a little bratty and so this kind of response feels out of proportion but i would say it's not necessarily really accurate to characterize that dynamic as being limited to this period however i do think there's a misogyny to the way that it's being specifically deployed here and frankly there's still a misogyny to the way that it is deployed but it is much more over here than i think i've seen in recent scandals i mean i think if we have to do this i wish it was more of a kind of socratic conversation between the women that maybe a host mediates which that's what andy cohen does right Yes. Um, like, this is just like the women one by one going up to be dressed down by this random guy who wasn't there. Yes. And I think obviously what Andy Cohen does, I think, is significantly more palatable than what Chris is doing here. Because Chris 
as you're saying, he just takes these women and berates them one at a time. Yeah. Where... Gotta pick them off. Where Andy is sort of having them work things out with each other. And then if they say something that's like really out of pocket, he'll be like, okay, but... And kind of push back on them with facts or whatever so that they have to clarify themselves. But it, he doesn't sit down and attack them and like, you know, smirk around to the audience for approval. Like, oh, God, her good. Oh, this is so disgusting. Yeah. And this episode has a little of the women kind of turning to each other. That becomes more and more so in later years, but that also leads to a certain amount of, whoa, ladies, calm down. It it never feels good. Um, so then Jillian gets, you could call it the hot seat. It's tepid. It's so clear that she's the front runner for Bachelorette. She knows it. We all know it. She gives the old, I learned to fall in love, but I just can't wait until Prince Charming gets here. Chris openly asks Jillian if she'd ever want to be the Bachelorette. Jillian says, yes, I'd do it again. And everyone's so excited. Then they bring out Jason to talk to the women, and no one really cares that much to confront him. Jillian's kind of already checked out. She's ready to be the Bachelorette. Naomi's over it. Chris says, a woman you had tremendous respect for is Stephanie, and the crowd goes wild. Chris says, you had so much in common. It seemed like you were almost destined to be together. And like they really didn't have that much in common. They were both single parents. Stephanie's husband died in a plane accident. Jason is divorced. That's extremely different. They're from very I, different places. They probably have very yeah. different values. They had absolutely no chemistry. And even when Stephanie was None. doing interviews off the show, she was like, I knew Jason and I were just friends. Yeah. And Jason says one of the least sexy sentences everyone's ever said, my heart goes out to you in every way and the things you conquered in your life. I have so much respect for you. Um, then Chris says there's a lot of drama, a lot of tears, but everyone still managed to have a lot of fun, even if it wasn't exactly planned. Take a look. This leads to bloopers. They're the same scenes we've already seen. Yes, they show that bathtub thing again. So that's like twice in one episode and once last week. That We're seeing that thing with the bathtub making a noise three times in two weeks. It wasn't funny the first time. Um, I also just want to say, to track, the way that the show is about bloopers is so funny. Because every woman tell all, they act like everyone is just so excited to see the bloopers. And I feel like... Year after year, the women tell-alls get more bleak and more hostile and awful. And then there's, like, this really sharp juxtaposition to, like, and now bloopers. And everyone's like, yes. And I I really want to know, does anyone actually like the bloopers? What is this based on? But these are really not very notable bloopers. To wrap up, Chris asks Jason if he's happy. Jason says, I'm extremely happy. Thanks for asking. After one more preview reminding us that Melissa is the total package and Molly can be closed off with her emotions, we end the episode. But wait. America, we need your help. Jason's a tough act to follow. We're looking for our next Bachelor. It's, it was just interesting to me that they say we're looking for our next Bachelor. Like, at this point, maybe they th- think they're still gonna... They're gonna go back to plucking out someone who's like a catch. Yeah, so it definitely seemed like they were doing that because this is it's a montage of hot women who have been on the show over various seasons, giving different lines from a monologue about how they're looking for the most desirable man. Right? The casting cards that we see today, they say, Do you wanna date our next bachelor or bachelorette? Right? They yes. are 
casting people to date the next lead because we know the next lead is coming from this. And so Jason's season um, was doing way better ratings than any the show had done in years and years, even before what is about to happen happens. So I thought this was very interesting that they still were not committed to the practice. At this point, they maybe think Jason's an anomaly. Yeah. Um, okay. Wow. Now's arguably the biggest moment of the women tell all, if not the entire season. We do this tag just when we think we're done. Chris tells the audience that other than himself, there's one other person who's been on almost every season of The Bachelor. And I think we both assumed it would be Polly, the stage manager. Right. He's often brought but, in for, for bits. Yeah. It's actually their limo driver, Caesar. Caesar, the limo driver, comes out. One, we've never seen this man before in our lives. Two, he is the only black person we have seen this entire season. It feels really bad. Yeah. Uh, Chris says... I mean... We've we've talked about before The Bachelor is in its pre getting sued for racial discrimination era. But even so, expecting that this was going to be a completely non-diverse season that, you know, if it ever engaged with any issues of race would do so in a tough way. This stopped me in my tracks. It was wild. Yes. Um. Chris says Caesar gets more airtime than he does. And while I wouldn't argue that Chris Harrison gets very little screen time, we truly have never seen Caesar. Maybe we've seen him through tinted glass, but the way the limo rides are shot, we're not seeing the driver. Right. He may be physically present while cameras are running more than Chris, but he is not on screen. And to me, I feel like this suggestion that Caesar got so much screen time is just it was just so emblematic of how poorly the bachelor handles and is aware of race because the idea that he was like kind of around was the same thing to them as him being on the show and then they do this little tribute bit to him chris asks caesar if any of the women have tried to hit on him in the limo caesar laughs uncomfortably then chris goes have any of the guys tried to hit on you no we won't do that anyway seven years caesar it's been a pleasure and so we also got a little homophobia just as a treat because the idea that men would hit on him is hilarious. Mm-hmm. So, Anne-Marie, I wanted to ask you, do you feel bringing out Caesar, the limo driver, did it feel to you like it's look, we have diversity or were they so not good about diversity that they were not even remotely thinking about it? Yeah. So I feel like in my experience, You know, I was in college when this aired, but I graduated shortly after this and got my first job on a scripted television show. And in my experience in scripted television, the kinds of conversations that I was hearing about diversity were very much things like, oh, like we should definitely like diversity is great. We should um, add some diversity, but then not really thinking about like what kind of roles they were putting these diverse casting decisions into. So, you know, there's no diverse characters in the main cast. But we have like a random homeless person who's an extra who has one line. That would be a great place to do some diversity. And I think looking at this and how, you know, their probably thought process was like, diversity is great. Let's show how diverse our crew is. And then similarly to some of the things that I saw when I was working in scripted TV, they bring out someone in a service position who's the first person that we've seen 
who's black the whole season. You know, most of the people on this season were orange. That is Ty's favorite color. It is Ty's favorite color. (laughs) But I think that speaks to the mentality um, at the time, which was very much like diversity. Diversity is good, but like not thinking about what shape that diversity took. I just think it is probably... Yay, diversity, but very thoughtlessly done. We have diversity because this white man is choosing between two white women and the person that drives them around is black. Exactly. That feels bad. That feels bad. It does feel bad. So what else feels bad is what's been going on behind the scenes as oh, good segue. Jason Mesnick's season has been airing up to this point. So here we are. We've arrived at the final week of Jason Mesnick's season. But I want to go back in time a little bit and talk to you guys about something unprecedented that has been happening on the internet over the last two or so months. All right. So on January 27th, an unknown or relatively unknown reality television blogger named Reality Steve makes the following post. I've never been one to ever spoil anything upcoming on The Bachelor, and I'm not about to start doing it either. But I just wanted to remind everyone to remember this date of January 27th, a good month before the finale airs. Just when you think ABC fell at the wheel, and just when the message boarders thought they had this season figured out by dissecting pictures and freeze-framing shots and looking at pinky rings and freckles, just when everyone and their mothers thought they knew what was going on this season on The Bachelor, ABC decided to grow a brain and pull a fast one. All I will say is this. Not everything is as it seems. And just when you think you know, you don't know. Do not believe everything you see or read. You're going to have to think on this one. So when the finale airs and your jaw hits the floor, just remember Reality Steve warned you ahead of time deal the reality seems like this will be the most historic coup to ever happen in january <laughs> just the way he said remember this date january 27th was a little oof so there's 49 comments here um and this reality steve person right who is kind of insisting here that he doesn't do spoilers he he's just a guy who has a reality blog it has some readers uh, it started as him sending recaps of joe millionaire by email to his friends this and, and the tone the tone is snarky the tone is very snarky and i think that's his thing he doesn't like the bachelor he doesn't like the people on the bachelor and he's doing all of these recaps of the bachelor that are so misogynistic that kind of going back and looking at them uh like i knew he had a history of kind of misogynistic behavior and it was so much worse than what i had been envisioning he says all of these gross things about these women and their bodies um, in that episode where Melissa has the um, breast reduction revelation. He like talks about how he like, you know, figured out what that size really was and it wasn't as big as he was fantasizing. So he leaves this mysterious post on January 27th and then he kind of starts putting out clues. He's like he's like the Zodiac killer. Yes, it's it's very Zodiac killer. <laughs> They don't make a lot of sense to me except for one where he says the theme of this season is the theme of the season one of Heroes. Save the cheerleader, save the world. And his comment section starts like picking up. 
if there were 49 comments on that first post back in January, he's getting thousands of comments on the posts by the time we are up a few weeks later. And so on February 12th, and I think we mentioned this last time, in between the airing of Hometowns and Fantasy Suites, Mike Fleiss announces that they've ordered an additional episode. The season is going to be an episode longer, have one extra night, and the ending is going to be shocking. Um, and Reality Steve is pretty shocked about this. He didn't really expect them to acknowledge it. And he feels like because he has kind of created all of this conversation about this, they are after him. I did this. Me. Reality Steve. That same week in February, Reality Steve releases a series of YouTube videos. Um, and he says, all right, I'm telling you the truth. Jason chose Melissa. Um, that's the love story that they're following on the show. And then they filmed an After the Final Rose January 18th. So a couple weeks after the season premiere, after Jason has finished his press tour. And so right around when Obama takes office. Yes, I'm sure these things are equally important in American history. He says at this at this taping, Jason ended his engagement with Melissa and began a relationship with Molly. And the ABC is just kind of going to present this as Jason changing his mind after thinking this over. And Reality Steve says, no, that's not what happened. This story was fabricated. So what does he say happened? He's talking about how this franchise is struggling. You know, they haven't produced any marriages from The Bachelor. Um, and so one thing that they can make happen, well, they can't make someone get married, but they can like produce a shocking ending. And so he is like, basically, like, they produced all of this. Jason always was going to pick Molly and production, like, didn't let him. And Jason and Molly were aware of this. Melissa was always a distant second and doesn't know any of this. Um, so a lot of this we have since learned in interviews that Melissa and Jason have given is not true, or at least they say it's not true. Um, Melissa says she knew that there were problems in their relationship and they were breaking up. The only thing that she was shocked by was that Molly was involved. But he basically has spun this whole conspiracy theory that they set this up on purpose. And this is where it really gains momentum, in part because like Fleiss has kind of legitimated this discourse by announcing that there's an extra episode. Reality Steve doesn't really know what's going on with that at this point. But he starts getting a lot of interviews and stuff. Blogs are interviewing him. He had a great interview in a, in a blog about hairstyles called hairboutique.com. I'm mm -hmm. just saying this so that you kind of understand. Reality Steve was a very different figure than he is today. Today, like places like Cosmo and Glamour have done features on who Reality Steve is. That was not the caliber of attention that he had at this point. And um, we had so, no idea at the time why someone sent him spoilers. And he didn't even really have any idea. He was just some guy doing recaps. So this is being treated kind of as a conspiracy theory by people, but it's getting tons of attention. And, you know, he, he had no track record. So there was a lot of debate about whether to believe it or not. The week of women tell all. Um, Chris Harrison very obliquely responds to everything Reality Steve has been putting out there because he has been on this internet tour, been getting all these visitors to his blogs, Access Hollywood and stuff have been reporting on on what he is saying. And so he does this blog um, in Entertainment Weekly's website where he just writes about each episode and his perspective on what's going on. 
And so Chris writes, um, after Women Tell All, I had a really tough time trying to figure out how I was going to write this week's blog and what I should say to you. I'm in a bit of a tough position. As much as I would love to tell all, that's just not possible right now. But believe me when I tell you that will happen in this space next week. As much as I'm sorry that some of you have somehow found a reason to doubt my integrity and honesty, <gasps> there's not a whole hell of a lot I can do about that. If something you've heard or seen from somebody you don't know has suddenly changed your opinion of me, then is there really anything I could say or do that could change your mind anyway? I learned a long time ago, 15 years of marriage, to pick my battles, and this, my friend, is one I don't care to fight. With that said, let me share a little something with you. The Bachelor producers have scripted and are responsible for certain events. The first moon landing, the end of the Cold War, AstroTurf, and the internet. Sorry, Al Gore, it was us. But we are not responsible for, nor have we ever scripted, the ending of this show. Let me retype this slowly so all of you can read this. We do not and have not decided the ending of any of our seasons. Let's be honest, if we did, don't you think we would do a better job and have a much higher success rate? As much as we'd love to take credit, we didn't tell Trista to fall in love with Ryan, get married, and have two babies. We didn't script Charlie falling in love with Sarah only to struggle as a couple battling addiction and then persevere and now thrive as a happy couple. Nor do we tell Brad Womack to not pick anybody and just leave and go back to his life in Texas. These were all cases of good old-fashioned human behavior and free choice. I read in the comments that many of you are questioning my parenting skills and if I'm Ooh. even fit to be a parent. Aww. First, let me say it took you all far too long to figure that out, but that's really between my kids and the therapist I'm sure they'll be visiting in about 20 years. Second, let me share a bit of wisdom I often share with my own kids. You are responsible for the choices you make in this life, period, end of story. Mainly, this is him responding to Reality Steve. And I think what's important is that the way that Reality Steve talks about this event in retrospect, he talks about like the big revelation being that he had this spoiler about what happened at the ending and the shocking switcheroo. But at the time, that's not what he was selling. He was selling like a much bigger conspiracy theory, a meta narrative about how production had manipulated and said all this was all a plan. I think he has toned down some of that to sort of like a more like realistic view of what the level of manipulation in reality TV is over the years. But the story that was building and that was getting all of this attention in the media and all of this attention from fans online was this like diabolical plan to screw over Melissa that everyone, even Jason and Molly, were in on. And... It's interesting to me that that aspect of the story has kind of been lost as it like rocketed this man into relevancy and being like someone who becomes for the next decade plus such a significant figure in right. in Bachelor Nation. Because after he gets these spoilers, people go, oh, reality Steve is who you send spoilers to. And this becomes like his livelihood. Right. And it goes from like being something that's like his random hobby. It becomes it becomes his career. He still hates The Bachelor, but he eventually reinvents himself as a as a man who outs abusers. He's very much allied currently with like the outspoken feminists of Bachelor Nation. And that's, I imagine, why there's little internet record. I think he's very aware of the dynamics of the space that he is kind of operating in as an internet personality today. And that a lot of this stuff that he's kind of scrubbed from the internet, in some ways, I... I, I feel a way about bringing it back because I think accountability is important 
and he definitely has erased a lot mm. of this past, but at the same time, he also is not engaging in that behavior anymore, at least publicly. And, you know, I think that's growth on his part. So, I mean, the generous read, which I hope is true, he made friends with more women and learned. Yeah. And I, I think, I think let's, uh, let's assume that generous read. Um, and I think it's good that these are not that accessible on the internet anymore. But that in terms of his role coming into power in Bachelor Nation, he really did it on the backs of sensationalizing this story as much as possible and not simply providing the spoiler, um, which I think is, is an approach that he's toned down over the years, but it it clearly garnered him attention at this point in time. So just have in your heads going into the finale where America's viewers are, if you are somewhat remotely online, you have already heard this rumor that, that Jason breaks up with Melissa for Molly. We're back in New Zealand. Jason and Ty are reunited. Jason tells us he can't fully fall in love with someone until they meet Ty. Then Jason talks to Ty about what's ahead, and he says, Remember how I told you I came here to make friends? And I just thought it was fun that The Bachelor <laughs> describes himself as here to make friends. That's um, really cute. Yeah. Um, Melissa has the first date with Jason and Ty. Jason's optimistic because she was just so amazing with her friends' daughters in Dallas. Their date is playing golf, which feels like such a betrayal of Molly. Melissa tells Ty a knock-knock joke, which, I kid you not, is a moment they've been hyping this entire season. Um, Wait, they've been hyping that? Yes, every season. I wrote down this sheep joke was very stupid. Well, there were two knock-knock jokes. There was the first one that they've been showing in all the season previews where she goes, he goes, who's there? And she says, Atch. And he says, Achoo. And she says, bless you. Did you sneeze? And they've shown that like every episode in the, this season on. And then the, the sheep comes and they're like, do you have a joke about the sheep? And it's like, why was the sheep shy? Because he was bashful. She was put on the spot. If she ad-libbed that, good for her, I guess. I would have said very seriously, I do not have a joke about sheep. And I wouldn't have won. <laughs> if you'd cried, maybe you would have. Yeah. So then Jason brings Melissa to the house his family's been staying in so she can meet everyone. Jason's parents are stuck on the fact that Jason didn't get to meet Melissa's parents. And Melissa is clearly so frustrated that her parents are coming off as distant and unsupportive. Jason's mom asks Melissa her favorite thing about Jason, and Melissa says it's that he accepts her and appreciates her, which no guy has ever done before. That's such a sad thing to say about why you love someone. I mean, even I can think of better reasons to love Jason Mesnick. He's observant. He has a BA in psychology. Every time he's, she says something like this, I just remember that she m- married someone that she, she already dated, dated. before. But in general, if your favorite thing about someone is actually about yourself, that doesn't seem like a good sign. Something to note here is that there's a lot of evoking Deanna in this family visit. They're clearly trying to get her back in our heads because all season they've been making it look like Deanna comes to win Jason back. The family does bring up that Jason asked Deanna's dad for his blessing, which reminds me something we didn't even talk about was that Jason didn't ask for any dad's blessings in hometowns. Um, which was good. 
Jason's dad watches Jason and Melissa and Ty playing, you know, like a family. He says, when I look at Jason, I see a sparkle that hasn't been there for a while. We don't see these words come out of his mouth, so it's not certain he's saying this about this moment with Melissa. And I have to say, I too have a sparkle in my eye if I got paid to take a six-week vacation where I got to make out a bunch and go in a seaplane <laughs> and, and see the Goodyear blip. Um, but the show clearly wants us to feel Melissa is the reason for the sparkle in his eye. So that is time for Molly to meet Ty and the family. Molly's nervous, and Jason says Molly's not someone who's been around little kids a lot. Ty is cold to her at first. It's devastating, and it feels like he was put up to it. But maybe it's just that he already met Melissa, and now he's confused. He won't even give Molly a high five, but he ends up warming up to her, and they all fly a kite together. And just like in a little kind note, um, while I was watching this, I kind of glanced at my phone, and the first thing that came up on my Instagram feed was present day, Molly posting pictures of Ty's high school graduation and the two of them standing together. And it was really nice. Awful. That's yeah. So sweet. Yeah. So good for them. Um, so Molly just seems set up to fail meeting Jason's family. You know, she says everything right. She's warm. She's friendly. If anything, I'd say she gives off a bit of a job interview energy, like trying to give the most impressive answer. And that's the only thing I really felt like I can understand why maybe it would seem inauthentic. I don't know. But Jason's family has clearly already been convinced that Molly isn't ready to settle down and she's going to hurt Jason. Even when Molly explicitly tells them she's planning on moving to Seattle and that she asks them to trust her that she won't hurt Jason. After Molly leaves, Jason's siblings give him a very loaded thing where they're like, if that person who you're maybe not sure about can't handle the life you're giving them, it's never going to work out. And if that wasn't clear enough, Jason's mom is even more direct. She says, you have one woman who says she loves you to pieces, yet she has a career and career is important to her. But foremost for you, you want someone who's family oriented and is going to be there for Ty and you. Ugh. Have we even heard what Molly's career is? No. Like it says on screen that she's a department store buyer when she has a talking she head. She never talks about it. She never talks about it. When she does move to Seattle, she does not continue this career. It really didn't seem like it was that important to her. Like the idea that M Molly is a career girl who's not ready to be a mother made absolutely no sense. Also, that was a gross thing to say, Jason's mom. I know. And, you know, I don't want to weaponize Melissa's parents being absent the way that the show does. But it's telling that Melissa is seen as the family oriented one, even though Molly's family showed up and Melissa's family didn't. Molly is so close with her family. Yeah. Yeah. Again, this comes back to Melissa wants to be summers off playing with her kids. She just talks so much more about wanting children. Um, That was a bummer. So later, it's a stormy day and Melissa is looking out her window and worrying about how not meeting her parents is going to affect Jason's decision. She calls her parents and says she's really come to love Jason. She's had so many bad relationships, and this is different. And her parents agree to talk to Jason on the phone. Huge. So then Jason and Melissa have what has come to be known in the Bachelor universe as their last chance date. They go on a boat, they jump in the water, then they go back on the boat and kind of like sensually shower each other off. I didn't get why they did this. They were already wet. It was raining the whole time. This looked incredibly yeah. unpleasant and miserable. Jason comes back to Melissa's villa or whatever. 
She tells him the fantastic news that her parents have agreed to talk to him on the phone. They cuddle and kiss. She tells him how much she loves him. He says he's never felt this way either. But then, you know, we hear his voice over. He's still torn between the two women. So I just want to note here, leading into the commercial, we hear a coming up. Molly takes charge. And we see Molly straddling Jason's back, giving him a sensual massage. And just like that with Molly takes charge, it feels very, feels framed in a very like naughty way. But after the commercial, we see that their planned date is canceled because it's raining. So Molly makes a whole new plan, which is bringing Jason back to her villa for a massage. And like it's sexy and it's organized. And that's who Molly is. She gives him this little book she wrote about their love story called A Fairy Tale Love Story, which I feel like many women and men do in the upcoming seasons. I mean, it basically used to be a tradition to give an arts and crafts project <laughs> representing your love to the lead on the last chance date. And honestly, it's a tradition I miss. I love yeah. these cheesy picture books. So the story ends with this is not the end, but only the beginning. Then the next day we see Jason finally call Melissa's parents. We only hear his side of the conversation. He says they are open and awesome. He's like, well, that's the last thing I was concerned about. Now I can move forward. And of course, that means it's time for the dramatic turn of Deanna. The whole season, it's in the previews. It's been made to look like Deanna's coming to win Jason back. She's obviously not. I think they did this with uh, Andy on Nick Vial season too, right? They did, and if only it were true. We were so excited. I can't believe we made it this far without talking about Andy and Nick. Welcome to a recurring theme. Although we made it to the third episode without saying this, a thing that you have to understand about us is that we're really Andy and Nick shippers, and we still are in 2023. We think his whole glow up was trying to turn himself into the sort of man that Andy chose over him, and now he is constantly dating other brunettes to try to recreate their love, but more on that later. Um, so Deanna, it seems like, has been sent to tilt the scale toward Melissa. Jason tells Deanna there are two women left. One is everything he was looking for when he came in. The other is more of a wild card. You know, the sort of wild card that plans thoughtful dates and plans to move to Seattle for you and repeatedly tells you she's in love with you, Jason. Um, Deanna says she chose her wild card. She thought Jesse would be fun, but she didn't look past that. And if she could go back, she'd make a different decision. So then Deanna says this wild card person might have this wild fun side he's so attracted to right now, but he needs to look past that. Jason's like, yeah, totally. I should just follow my heart. And Deanna's like, "Uh, I wouldn't. (laughs) I would say lead your heart. I followed my heart. This is awful advice. And I want to talk about this scene because it feels incredibly bleak to me. But if you are someone who's watching this and you watch Jason's season and you're rooting, you've you've been convinced to root for Melissa, does this feel great? But Deanna comes in and says, I wish I'd chosen my Jason. You choose your Jason. And that is Melissa. It paints neither decision in a good light is what I would say. I feel like you can't come off this conversation and feel good about him proposing to either Molly or Melissa. So obviously this gets in Jason's head. He looks out onto the ocean and contemplates, which he will do a lot. We hear yet again, when Molly looks at me with those eyes, she's got me. We hear this soundbite so many times. Jason says he can't get enough of her. Melissa was unbelievable with Ty, and she knows how to show that she loves and cares. Hmm, what to do? Then a woman named Emily comes on behalf of Neil Lane. 
We don't get the man himself yet. So this is the first season of the Neil Lane partnership. And I think it's very emblematic of like the fact that The Bachelor wasn't really worth Neil Lane's time. Yeah, but it will be. And even though Neil Lane himself is not there, we see his name very prominently displayed when people open ring boxes and when Emily says, this one is a signature Neil Lane. Um, So later, Jason does some really big thinking. He says this is the biggest decision of his life, which feels more true than when he said sending Nikki home was the hardest decision he's ever made. He looks at the ring he chose. He contemplates. He thinks to himself, if we are to imagine that voiceover is his inner monologue. (laughs) Molly is like oxygen. He can't get enough. With Melissa, he looks at her and he feels love. Then he stares at the ring and he holds it up in this really unnatural way where you can tell that they had instructions about the angles that they wanted to see the Neil Lane ring at. Then he closes the ring box and voiceover we hear suddenly, I have made my choice. I know what I'm going to do. So then we get was a pretty classic Bachelor proposal day where we're cutting between the Bachelor and the two women. They're all getting ready. But what's notable here is Jason looks bereft. His eyes are red. He says, this is supposed to be the best day of my life. How can I feel so horrible right now? And he has tears in his eyes as he puts a bow tie on Ty. And then we have another suspenseful bachelor moment we know well. The first limo pulls up. And, you know, if you are a bachelor fan, you know that if you come out of the limo first, that means you lose. And it's Molly, as we knew it was going to be, because this is an old season. Chris Harrison offers his arm and Molly takes it and leads her inside. And I always think this is one of our most fucked up Chris Harrison moments. Just that he like, he already knows that she's lost, but he's just like leading her in there. And just like, I imagine he's giggling to himself, even though he's not. Just like, it feels yucky. Molly tells Jason, this is the most incredible journey she's ever been on. Jason looks so tired and sad. He says, whenever you look at me with those eyes, you have me. She's absolutely stunning and amazing. Molly's face falls because she gets it. He says he doesn't want to say goodbye to her, and he has no real reason to, except he's in love with somebody else. And Molly shakes her head, and Jason cries. And then Molly says, I just don't understand. I think you've made a mistake, a big one. It's chilling. I have goosebumps talking about it. He walks her out. Then she whispers to him. And I always feel when people whisper on The Bachelor, it always feels more genuine to me, too, because it feels like they're trying to get something past the show, like the crew. She whispers to him saying, I think you're making a huge mistake and I think you're going to end up hurt again. Jason says he thinks she's wrong and she says, I hope I am because you deserve someone really great. She's so composed because her dad told her not to cry. So Jason says to Molly, everything was real. Always know that. She gives him the saddest smile. In the limo, Molly just looks shocked. She like kind of glamorously wipes tears from her eyes. But Jason, on the other hand, sobs. What happens next is an extremely iconic bachelor moment in which Jason throws himself against the balcony and cries and cries and cries. His tears cascade onto New Zealand. Um, There are many, many times in the Chris Harrison era, which we have a lot of ahead of us, that he refers to pulling a messick And that means crying and crying and crying. So I can't imagine how anyone watching this in 2009 felt good when Melissa is brought to Jason next. Do you think they are like, oh, great, he chose Melissa? 
Everyone I was watching with it felt so happy and loved Melissa so much. So even though they, they saw him weeping over Molly, they were like, oh, I'm so happy for Melissa. I mean, like, everyone thought he should have chosen Melissa. So, like, this was the right ending. Who cares what he actually thinks? We like her more. Basically, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Melissa was really loved. And I, although I am struggling to understand why watching this in 2023... I had not seen any episodes before this one, so I just agreed with everyone that I was with. So Jason tells Melissa he started falling for her from the blimp ride. <laughs> and I'm like, ugh, that Goodyear blimp has reared its ugly head. He came into this looking for someone exactly like her and looking super not happy. He says she makes him the happiest he's ever been in his life. He's in love with her. He kneels and displays the Neil Lane logo in the ring box for the camera. He starts to propose, then she does this thing where she says, can you give me a second? And she turns around and does this very, like, quote-unquote, adorable, like, giggle, squeal. My closed caption said, ah, parentheses, squeals. <laughs> um, I don't doubt that Melissa is very excited, but to me this felt, like, pretty inauthentic. I could see someone thinking, oh, and when I win The Bachelor, this is a cute thing I'll do. I didn't know if it was necessarily inauthentic, but I definitely found it off-putting. Yeah. And what's interesting is that I found so many like comments and quotes that talked about what a cute How cute comment. that was. She accepts his proposal and his final rose. They celebrate and kiss and say, I love you to each other. And then Ty runs out. They all jump in the pool. Melissa says, I'm going to be a mesnick. The end, accommodations provided by the eagle's nest. And maybe for the next few minutes, people think that he's with Melissa right now. But then we go to the very dramatic after the final rose that they've been hyping for weeks. And Chris Harrison solemnly stands on an empty stage in an empty arena that's dark and filled with tea lights. And he says, we have no audience here tonight because what you're about to see is potentially so dramatic so emotionally difficult. We decided, out of respect for the parties involved, to keep the taping of tonight's show as intimate as possible. Chris brings out Jason, who says it's been a crazy time. Then there's this extreme soft close-up of Chris Harrison, and he goes, what's on your mind? And so during this, we keep cutting to these extreme sympathetic listening faces of Chris Harrison. And actually, I thought it could be the thing like in broadcast news where the anchor cries in the interview, but then it turns out he recorded the crying afterwards and they inserted it. <laughs> I mean, it's possible that Chris looked like he was having too much fun. Uh, and so they had to cut back in some sympathetic faces. Real listening faces. Um, Jason says he came here wanting to find someone like Melissa. She is incredible, but they're not right for each other. They spent a lot of time together since the show ended and the chemistry has been completely different. He says he, Melissa knows he feels different. The passion isn't there, and he can't stop thinking about Molly. Chris asks Jason what he's going to do tonight. Jason says he needs to sit down with Melissa, that she deserves to take it all out on him. Chris asks if he's going to end it with her tonight, and he says he has to. Then he says he thought about what he'd tell Ty in the situation, that he'd tell Ty not to care what people think and do what's right for him, which feels very much referencing that he knows he's in for, like, a shitstorm from quote-unquote America, the America that's always referred to as having feelings about this. 
He also knows Molly will be angry with him, but he wants to tell her how he feels and ask for a shot. Then Chris is, goes into this kind of like play-by-play mode. So he's like, so you're officially about to break up with Melissa. <laughs> and Jason says Melissa knows where his heart's at, where his head's at. And so you think she must be expecting this on some level, or at least know he's unhappy. But so Anne-Marie, what do you think? Do you think she knew they would break up eventually, but didn't think it would be on this show? I think she knew that they were filming a breakup. Really? She did not know Mo- Molly would be there. Okay. But, uh, this, At least this is this is what she has said in later years, is that their relationship was on the rocks. She knew that this filming was unusual and that it was going to be a breakup because of that. She had no idea that Molly was involved. That kind of makes sense because she does kind of get more emotional when Molly comes up. So he... Launches in saying that they've been talking about how things are different. He completely fell in love with her, but the chemistry has been changing and they're not right for each other. Then Melissa says she thought things were perfect. Did she? No. She's playing the part that she knows that she needs to for sympathy. And I think this is part of why, part of why I think we have this reaction to Melissa as being very inauthentic in retrospect is basically due to sort of like knowing what she said about where her own head is at later she needed to be the surprised victim in this scenario to be maximally sympathetic and so she did know that things were not good in their relationship she said so jason said so does she want to be the bachelorette i don't think so simply because she gets engaged so quickly Mm -hmm. after this happens I think, uh, like, my suspicion, although I couldn't necessarily find anything to back this up, is that part of the reason their relationship sucked is that she actually wanted to be with her now husband. Mm. One of the bad relationships from the past. Yeah. Um, She doesn't know how Jason can say, I love you, I want to spend my life with you, and then pull away the second he starts having doubts. Jason, pretty good at just letting her be mad. He doesn't defend himself. He's just like, yeah, this isn't your fault. You have every right to be angry. Melissa asks what she did. What happened that made it different? Jason said she did nothing wrong, but he still has feelings for Molly. He tried to get Molly out of his head and told himself, forget it. I'm here with Melissa. That's it. And that's this is when Melissa starts to really she goes. She launches into this third person speech where she's like, because you chose Melissa, because you don't want to fight for Melissa. You put a ring on Melissa's finger. You told Melissa you loved her and wanted to spend the rest of your life with her, but you don't want to fight and see if it'll work. That third person really threw me. Jason said if it were that simple, he would, but the worst thing in the world is to live your life with regrets. And I think the idea of her being a regret really is a tipping point. She goes, you're such a bastard. And this is the part I had seen and heard about from their breakup. So I thought it was going to be a lot angrier on her side. I don't know. I She she feels so much more mm-hmm. sad. And I mean, my whole takeaway of Melissa this whole season is that she seems so insecure. It's really hard to begrudge her that much. My reaction here was I felt like they were both so yeah. valid. I feel like I couldn't. I'm like, it's, it's kind of wild how mad yeah. people were at Jason because he's so sweet and thoughtful. And he so explicitly articulates holding space for Melissa's emotions and how fair they are. And Melissa is kind of lashing out unconstructively, but like, of course she is. It makes sense. She's not 
she's not doing it overly angry. That's that's how people react in this situation. And so I just felt like watching this, they were both so valid. And I feel like I remember watching like Ari's breakup with Becca. And I felt like I could point to things that he was doing that were pissing mm-hmm. me off. Whereas this just seemed like a this seemed like a breakup where it's it's sad. People maybe are on the same page, but everything is being handled as thoughtfully and respectfully. Most recently we had that like really unpleasant Rachel and Tino thing where they're like pulling journal entries and going kind of point by point. And this just like, okay, I'm going to let you be mad. So much more pleasant. Yeah. I, I just, I thought Jason's reaction to this is he's like, I have to hurt her. That sucks. And I accept whatever energy she's going to come back with. And implicitly, Whatever energy America is going to come back with that, because you know that's part of of his calculus here, but he is, like, doing it because he knows it's the right thing to do. And I think, you know, he has been the whole season so thoughtful and so careful in the way he spoke about and to women. And he absolutely continued that here. Like, Melissa obviously didn't want to be broken up with, and it's very hard for her, so all of her anger is totally justified. But, like... Jason didn't do anything. And I, I love to nitpick a man for the things that he did. Yeah. But Jason really, he, he really did I it. I sense there's plenty of time for nitpicking men for things they've done. Coming up. I, I am not worried yeah. that I will not yep. be able to be mad at men on this podcast. Yeah. We just happened to yeah. start with a strangely yeah. good one. Um, Jason says Melissa was exactly what he was looking for, but he learned a lot about himself. He's growing as a person, too. He's not perfect. Melissa goes, I'll second that, and then kind of guffaws. And I'm like, aha, there she is. There's the Melissa we saw, but Jason didn't. That's Melissa in defense mode that we've come to know. Melissa says getting engaged is a once in a lifetime thing, and he took that from her. I feel like that's something people, particularly women, say a lot on The Bachelor where they're like, I'll never have my first proposal again. And I I just think that's a way I never think about things. It definitely is a very common phrase in this world. Mm. I feel like, who cares how many times you get proposed to? Collect proposals. Yeah, yeah. Have have men want you and leave them in the dust. The more, the better is what we say. Get it, girls. (laughs) Um, Melissa cries. She wishes Jason had just let her go. She's so mad at him. She gives him the ring back and says, this doesn't make sense. And then we reveal Chris Harrison, who I'd legitimately forgotten was sitting there. It's so crazy that he is just sitting there. And he's like, oh, emotions are running high. Let's take a break. And then after commercial, he very helpfully is like, so just to clarify, you're breaking up with Melissa and you're going to pursue a shot with Molly. Then he excuses himself to let Jason and Melissa say their goodbyes. Jason apologizes again. Melissa says she's baffled by this. They've both been through a ton of heartbreak. So he should know better than do something like this. She says, good luck. Don't call me. Don't text me. Leave me alone. Thank you. Then Melissa has an incredibly long limo exit, which is mostly notable to me because about half of it is her speaking over shots of the limo driving along the road or Jason sitting in the studio feeling bad. This is Caesar's famous screen time. Yeah. <laughs> no, see, I'm going to just say right off the bat, we do not see Caesar. Some of the additional lines we hear are things like, He's not the person for me. There's someone else out there. I always thought I'd be a really good wife. They also add, I'm not angry. I'm hurt. I can't be mad at Jason for not being in love with me. But this point, it seems pretty clear that Jillian's going to be the bachelorette. So Anne-Marie, do you have any thoughts of like what they're trying to do with her limo exit? 
Okay, so at this point, Jillian is absolutely not going to be the Bachelorette. What? At this point, Molly was going to be the Bachelorette. In the period of time between when filming wrapped at the end of November and this shooting in early mid-January, they have been trying to convince Molly mm-hmm. to be the Bachelorette. And Molly, in fact, believes that she is here because of that, because she has finally said, yes, I'll be the Bachelorette. Okay? So that's why Molly thinks Waiting that backstage. she is here and waiting backstage yes it's something to do with the bachelorette i think she knows that this Mm -hmm. filming is with jason but i think she thinks it's a typical like get closure before moving Mm -hmm. on to my bachelorette story um this is filming in january it's airing in march and in march we have moved on to jillian as the bachelorette so i think it more just was that this this like dumping was gonna like really reinforce this idea of melissa as america's sweetheart um, I'm pretty sure that they announced her on Dancing with the okay. Stars the very next day. So I don't think that when this aired, they thought they were setting her up for Bachelorette. Because at this point, Jillian is all set. They're going to announce her the next day on the second after the final rose. But at the time of filming, it was Molly and they were kind of going back to the drawing board. So it's possible that when they filmed it, Melissa was maybe a possibility. Well, So just to be clear, here we are six weeks after the finale was filmed, six weeks before the final episode aired, Molly is waiting backstage to come out to Jason. The crew and producers know that Jason's going to ask for her back. So is their thinking she'll either say yes and they'll get back together or she'll say no and she'll be the bachelorette? I think so, yes. Wild. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it's win-win for yeah, them. Yeah. Right. Um, so then Molly comes out for a special interview with Chris Harrison she says she's nervous to see Jason. Chris is like, you guys had a pretty special connection. Let's take a look. Then they make her watch a montage of all the special moments she shared with Jason. It feels mean. And a- as usual, Chris Harrison has a secret. Like, they always do, they this, always do this to runners. Where they, like, rub their relationship in their face and then want them to talk yeah. about their feelings. But if I were Molly, not knowing what's happening, the way he just like twists and twists and twists the knife yeah. in this part, mm-hmm. where he's like, "But if Jason wanted you back, yeah. what would you like?" I would be like, "Chris, why are you doing this to me?" Molly says it was hard to watch that. The week after she left was the worst week of her life. Um, I was listening to a 2009 playlist while working on this, and "You Belong with Me" came on, and I could imagine Molly listening to that and just crying. <laughs> um. Chris asks if the feelings are still there. Molly says it's tough. In a normal breakup, the other person is in all over TV and in magazines. She still feels weak in the knees whenever she sees Jason. Chris is like, you're still in love with this guy. Chris is being so impish. <laughs> he, he's like, so uh, do you ever hope he changes his mind? Molly says she thinks about it every night. All she wants is for him to call her or knock on her door and tell her he made a mistake and he wants her back. If she is trying to be the Bachelorette, she's not doing a good job. Um, Molly says she knows Melissa is a great person and will love him endlessly and she wants Jason to be happy. Chris is like struggling not to lose it. (laughs) Like you can see him suppressing a little smile. He is so... He's exuberant. so excited that this is her reaction. Like... He's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing this. television. Well, more on that later. <laughs> he invites Jason to come out. He and Molly seem pretty emotional to see each other. Molly is prepared with a bunch of questions she wants to ask about their relationship. But Chris is like, Jason, you and I have been talking about what happened. 
that night and what's happened since. And when he says what's happened since, Molly's had whips to Jason. He tells Molly he ended things with Melissa. He hasn't been able to stop thinking about her. His heart and his head and his gut haven't been able to let go. And then he says the thing that really is gratifying to me, someone watching his season. Everything I was looking for, I was wrong. So much of what I've been looking for and didn't even know it was right in front of my face. Jason is then like, you know, I just wanted to see if you wanted to go out for a coffee or a drink and see where things go. And Molly starts laughing in disbelief. Jason says what he did to Melissa was horrible, but he doesn't want to live with any regrets. We only have today. And when I think about living in the moment, it's with you. Chris Harrison, who is unbelievably still part of this conversation, asks, are you still in love with Molly? And Jason says, yeah. Molly, who everybody has been saying can't express emotions, has a lot of emotions on her face. Chris, again, sports announcer mode. It's like a historic night where our bachelor has changed his mind, has broken up with Melissa, and just asked Molly for a second chance. And we're waiting to hear what she has to say. I can't imagine how weird it must be having this genuine emotional moment and Chris Harrison is narrating it. Jason keeps going and says all the feelings he had are still there. He was falling for her and he still is. Molly clearly has melted. She says they have a lot to talk about, but her feelings never went away. She says, I think we can see where things go. And Jason says, that's all I'm asking. And then Molly turned mouth to Chris Harrison. What? Like she just can't believe it. Chris Harrison beams more on this in chris harrison watch we cut back to molly and jason like molly's hand is already just like fully over jason's leg like they are right back she says they still have a lot to talk about but her feelings for him have never changed and she'd be lying if she said she wasn't glad this happened then chris harrison is like so where do we go from here i don't have a map for this this is the first time this has ever happened for me as well like oh thanks chris harrison like Everyone is really worried about how you're taking this. Um, Jason Jason just, like, is so articulate in this moment. He must have written stuff out. He says he came here for a reason, to find someone to spend the rest of his life with, somebody who brings out the best in him, of, in him in a way he never felt before, and Molly is that right person. Molly says she's been waiting to hear that. Because she always knew this. She always knew she was the right one for him. That's me saying that, not Molly. She grabs him and kisses him. Jason says, holy crap, kisses her again. And then he looks at her and says, it's good to see you. And Molly's like, is this for real right now? And then Chris Harrison's like, it is. Chris Harrison is like, guys, America is watching right now. They are absolutely floored. This is pre-taped. So, I mean, I'm sure he's right that America is floored, but he, he can only assume Jason, again, clearly thinking about the hate mail he's about to get, says what's most important is that they're both following their hearts and not leading them, Deanna. They get it. People don't like it. It's not the classiest or coolest thing to do in the world, but you can't control what's inside you. Chris is like, boy, you must love this girl to go through what you've been through. Jason says from the beginning he was falling in love with her and he'll never stop. She's like, aw. Chris says that this is the perfect note to end on. As the show wraps up, we see Molly Jason kiss more. Then he's like, ready for a long talk? And she's like, yeah. Then he looks at her and goes, those eyes. Because he's been talking constantly about how beautiful her eyes are, and now they're back. 
They're really beautiful. Her eyes are so beautiful, though. He's not wrong. Like, he's They're not beautiful. overselling them. Uh, more beautiful than any diamond Neil Lane could offer. They end with a tag replaying when Molly and Jason flew a kite with Ty to assure us that Molly could be a suitable mother, even if she has a career. And again, I know people love Melissa, but how could you watch that and be like, ugh? <laughs> it did your friends end feeling angry? Yes. So like I'm I'm like trying to summon back this memory of I'm sitting on the floor in front of our like crappy IKEA futon couch and we're all just like yelling at the TV, like justice for Melissa. How can you do this? How can we even be happy for him? Like, yes, that's where everyone was. And I had again, I had no context. I would like to think that in two thousand nine I would have rooted for Molly over Melissa, but I don't know if I would have. So I also wanted to say for people keeping track at home, Jason and Molly will be the first bachelor couple to get married. Like the first bachelor lead who marries any of his contestants. There is one instance of the bachelor marrying his winner. And then another instance where a bachelor marries his second choice. And looking at this, I'm like, I really understand why a second choice marriage is a a recipe for success. I think in general, the bachelorette has a better success rate than the bachelor because when, and I hate to kind of be like do broad gender stereotypes, but I think men do better when there is a prize to be won. When they have their selection of women, it's like they're just kind of unfocused. At least that's what we've seen on the show. And... I think when this happens and a guy asks for his second choice back, the dynamic flips and all of a sudden he's the one looking like for her acceptance. So I think that sets things off on a good note. It evens the playing field a little bit from the dynamic that was established where he is in charge. And also then if you're that second place person, this is extremely romantic because you know they are risking a lot to be with you. There are... So many bachelor couples that have broken up. Any bachelor could go and ask his second place for another shot. They usually don't. So I think you must know this is legit if after everything, they're still thinking about you. Right. And they they know yeah. how much hate they are going to get for the decision. Like it's it's a decision that's not made without risk. And I think I think that is part of part of why this is successful. I also feel like one thing that I feel like I notice, I notice it with Jason in this round of episodes. I notice it with a lot of other bachelors, certainly Brad, certainly Zach, certainly, you know, like Clayton in recent seasons. They're like thinking a lot about how they're going to come across and sometimes making a decision that feels more for the audience than for themselves. And I think getting off TV snaps yeah. you out of that. And if you're like, wait, that's not the decision I would have made. Like, I, I feel like there are a lot of reasons why, if this is something that happens, you are able to stand in it with a lot yeah. of certainty. And I mean, like, we've also seen, like, Pilot Pete go after his second mm-hmm. choice disastrously, but, like, that was not these dynamics that we're talking about. On to After the Final Rose Part 2, and this one is in front of a live studio audience, which is one of Chris Harrison's most dangerous settings. Um, So 
Chris says, last night, America watched the most amazing jaw-dropping finale in Bachelor history, and we're back to answer the questions on everyone's mind. Chris can tell they're shocked and still want answers. Um, so, Anne-Marie, just to circle back to something we kind of touched on earlier. So this happened last night. They all watched this last night. They're all shocked and they want answers. So where do you think the main feedback on that is coming from? So I think that part of it is that they just kind of know their audience and how their yeah. audience reacts. But certainly since last night, um, a bunch of blogs have published articles like this one. I hate you, Jason Messenick. Um, This was from a Bachelor blog at the time where this person said, I would like to say that I have liked Jason since the day I saw him on The Bachelorette. He had that good guy essence about him. I was devastated when Deanna broke his heart. But my feelings have done a complete 180. He's on my shit list along with every other lady in the country. Um, you see active comment sections on these blogs. Um, since last night, someone has created the website, thebachelorsucks.com. Um, and it says, tell Jason Mesnick how much he sucks. Jason Mesnick, this site is dedicated to showing you how bad you <laughs> suck for what you did to the wonderful, beautiful Melissa. We are sure you already know, but I had to create this site so everyone out there could tell you how bad you really suck. Hopefully you don't treat Molly, although she is dumb for being with you, nearly as bad as you did Melissa. Everyone out there, please feel free to comment and tell Jason how bad he sucks. And they did. A lot of people say in here that they're mad that he felt like he had to break up with her on TV. They felt like he humiliated her. Uh, he should have talked to her for the show. She should. He should not have proposed. I will remind you of something I mentioned at the top of the show, which is that when Brad Womack decided he wasn't ready to propose and propose to no one, they were on these places Furious. making comments about how Brad Womack was the worst man in America. Um, but so... All of these blogs have popped up overnight. Um, so that's one thing that they could be drawing from. Uh, the ABC.com Bachelor message board, I'm sure, is full of angry things. That has That is kind of defunct and replaced by um, BachelorNation.com now, which doesn't have an interactive component. It just redirects you to their socials. So Chris says they have some of the favorite ladies from the season to talk about what happened. It's Naomi, Carrie, Nikki, Erica, and Stephanie. Nikki says it was hard to see Jason go through such agony. Stephanie's like, to relate it to my life, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. And she thinks Jason made the right decision. Erica, who's a shit stirrer eliminated in week two, is like, Jason, you should have taken a step back and thought about it before proposing. I was just curious here like, what the incentive is to make a big splash at one of these after, like, after the final rose, women tell all, in a pre-paradise world i mean what's the incentive to go on reality tv isn't it just oh, to right. be on tv yeah the bachelor's become such an industry i forgot about just the joy of fame you know i mean <laughs> i personally don't care for attention i can't believe i've started a podcast but people like attention yeah that's a good thing to remember going forward sweet carrie who really didn't get a lot of screen time i legitimately days. forgot who she was by this time she i think everyone really loved her like within the house and the only time we really heard from her was when they did the the busts and she said her sister had breast cancer oh yeah that was yeah, a good scene she, yeah. she did like her she was so sweet and she really is correct about jason here where she says takes a lot of integrity especially in front of america to come out and say you aren't right for me Stephanie is like, I agree, and especially having a child involved. It takes it to a different level. I can say that being a mommy. 
You have to look at who will be the best role model for your baby. Ugh, and I, this just makes me miss Stephanie's weird romance novel side. She's like clearly watched the show and is leaning into just being a mom. She also looked so pretty at this appearance. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people look great at these things because they just watch themselves on TV. It's true. I mean, that's a kind of feedback you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Then Chris says, America's been watching and they're dying to get in on it. I love the kind of vague references to America. Like America is a viewer. America's dying to get in on this. So he does like a poll with audience members. He asks like, who wants to say something? One woman makes it a point to mention she's been married 21 years. She's like, Jason has gone through the pain and devastation of a failed marriage and losing the bachelorette. So how could he put someone through that? Sure. Chris is like, really good comment. And then a younger woman says Jason made the right choice. He had a great connection with Molly. Then Chris is like, okay, who's really mad? And honestly, the response isn't that big. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt like Chris wanted to tap into rage, but everyone there was, Mm. well, this sucks, but like he followed his heart. And so Chris needed to find someone who was madder. One lady finally is like, sure, I'm really mad. She says she's angry Jason didn't take a step back. Instead of going from being devastated and crying on the balcony to proposing to someone else. I can guess why Jason proposed, even when he was just crying and devastated. Like we've said, because two years ago, not proposing to either person was the worst thing you could do. Not even two years ago. Before this, they did two seasons of Bachelor and zero seasons of Bachelorette a year. And we're now moving into the one season of Bachelorette, one season of Bachelor model. I wonder if there was even a point behind the scenes where Jason was like, man, I don't know if I can propose anyone. And they're like, America will really hate you if you don't. So then another woman in the audience says she had tears in her eyes. Melissa was so excited when Jason proposed. It was so cute how she turned around and screamed. It was so real. Again, I didn't think it felt real. Then Chris sees a man in the audience. And he's like, whoa, a man. So he asks the man... <laughs> Yeah, ask the man. Always have to get get a man's opinion. Yeah, yeah. He's like, he pretty much says that. And this random man is like, I would never propose if I had that reaction to someone else. It's unacceptable. And everyone's like, hell yeah. And everyone applauds him. But in general, the audience seemed more sympathetic than I'd expected because I knew going into this that everyone was furious with him. Next, Jason comes out. He's pleasantly surprised that people applaud for him. Chris says, millions watched around America watch this controversial decision. And understandably, some of them are very upset, very angry, very hurt. It's so weird to me to imagine watching this and be like, I feel hurt. Jason says everyone's entitled to their opinions, but his feelings aren't wrong either. Chris asks Jason if he can look Ty in the eye and tell him what he's done and feel proud. Boo, that sucks. <laughs> I That was so nasty of Chris. Like, It really does feel throughout this, you know, we talked about it with Natalie at the Women's Hall, like he is just hitting low blows on anyone who he feels like he can stand in judgment of. And I'm, we'll talk about this in Chris Harrison watch, but I (laughs) sense, I sensed a major moment of transition in Chris's role in the way he was antagonizing these people. Jason says, yes, (laughs) he can look Ty in the eye. He wants Ty to see that he followed his heart, and even though he hurt people, he feels like he did it with integrity. I absolutely love what Jason said here, because he said, we make mistakes, and I know mine is magnified by all this, but I feel I did it with integrity. 
And I just thought that was in the midst of like the level of hate he was getting at this time. I feel like that was such a clear eyed view of the situation. Like I look back on it now all these years later and I say that's a person who had an accurate read of what was going on. Jason says he and Molly have just been getting better and better. He's never had that passion and excitement before. Melissa is the ultimate wife. He'll be there for you until the day she dies. But Molly challenges him. Jason, thank you. They have so much fun together, and that's what he needs. Chris shares Melissa didn't want to be there tonight, but sent a note saying she's doing well, and she doesn't regret anything that happened because she wouldn't be where she is now if that hadn't happened. Chris is like, classic Melissa, right? And everyone applauds. I mean, that didn't feel classic Melissa to me. Yeah. I have a feeling people were pretty disappointed about this because a lot of the reactions that I saw from the night before were like they really wanted to see Melissa drag him at like the reel after the final rose the way the second place person typically does. But she didn't come. And I think that's for the best for everyone. So when Melissa says she wouldn't be where she is now if that hadn't happened, does that mean dancing with the stars and or dating her future husband? I think both. Um, Next, Molly comes out for her one-on-one chat with Chris Harrison. They show her a clip of her reunion with Jason, and it's funny to watch her watch last episode. And she looks very smug, and she deserves to be. Like, I don't mean smug as an insult. She was right all along. We all know it. She Um, knew he was making a mistake, and time showed that she was correct. Yes. Chris says this has stirred feelings all across America. Molly says it's been an incredibly difficult couple weeks for them, with rumors going around where her character is being questioned. And are these rumors that she was in on it? So there are a number of rumors that are going around. Mm -hmm. One of them is the conspiracy theory that she is in on it. The other one is that she got pregnant in the fantasy suite. And, like, this is a rumor that, like, crops up most seasons, but because of the Mm -hmm. situation... (laughs) There there was always um, a rumor. I don't want to give some of the things that I read about this airtime by reading them, but they were mm-hmm. nasty and misogynistic and about her about her character. There's a lot of conversation around that she is, you know, not a good person, not making good choices. She's a slut. She's been manipulating Melissa with the producer. She knew this would happen all along. She and Jason are in on it and they all did this to her Melissa on purpose. So there's a lot of things like that going around and they have been going around like since reality Steve spun this up. Not just since the night before when it aired. Man, that would be a lot of effort to go through just to hurt some lady, you know? Like, just, oh, they do this all to hurt Melissa. To what end? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't feel like there's anything about Melissa that would inspire like, that. But Yeah, yeah. Molly says in spite of the rumors, she's had Jason to lean on and they're happier than ever. Her dream has come true. Then they bring Jason back out. Chris is like, relationships are hard enough without all this pressure. You must really care about this woman to go through all this. And Jason's like, yep, I'll stand by this forever. And as of June 2023, he has. Chris asks when they first fell in love and someone yells, the tent. And Molly and Jason are like, uh, yeah, haha, like nothing happened in that tent. Then in like the most bachelory bachelor move, they bring out a tent as a gift. They love to be like, oh, haha, like you guys clearly love to fool around in tents because this is the date the show made for you. You know, this is kind of like the windmill. The Bachelor loves a hee-hee. We all know you had sex in there. Molly says she's never going camping again. I hope she stood by that. So now Molly and Jason are done. On to the next. Chris announces Jillian is the Bachelorette. She keeps saying how lucky she is. Jillian says she fell in love here before. It's a great venue for her to fall in love again. 
Chris asks if there's something that scares her about being the Bachelorette. And Jillian says she just hopes she makes the right choice the first time. And everyone laughs and laughs because we're laughing about this now. But the joke's on all of them because Jason and Molly are still together. ABC will pay for their wedding like a year after this finale. So to quote Molly, this is not the end, only the beginning. Okay, I have to talk about one thing before we move on. Yeah, okay. Even though I thought that was a nice ending. (laughs) It it was a nice ending, but I have to ruin it. Okay. I've been like really, I've loved Jason this whole season. But the final scene of this, it, it happens during the credits. It's some footage that they sometimes show of a happy couple's visit that Molly and Jason are having. They're making dinner. The dinner is tacos. Molly talks about how the dinner is tacos. And Jason does something that changed the whole way that I viewed him. I've been so pro-Jason this whole season. And this single-handedly ruined my view of Jason Mesnick. He put Heinz ketchup on a taco. (laughs) Anyway. If you ask me what the worst thing that Jason Mesnick did in this finale was, it's that. That is a crime against cuisine. It is a hate crime against Mexicans. Stop it, Jason. (laughs) That's offensive. I'd say that you could put that for age the worst, but it was never. No. There there has been no time in history when putting (laughs) Heinz ketchup on a taco is acceptable. I gotta say, Jason, not cool, but otherwise, good bacheloring. Shall we move on to Chris Harrison watch? Yes. Big Chris Harrison watch this week. The first thing that I noted is that Chris Harrison says at some point, I think to Jason... One of the things I like to do for you guys is give you the fantasy suite cards, the option to forgo your individual rooms and enjoy the fantasy suite as a couple. The fact that Chris frames this as something he likes to do for them, wild. Chris, I feel like, is really stepping into his power in these episodes. This made me wish we could see the seasons before this because this really does feel like a turning point for Chris because it's like those yeah. moments where he is sitting there because like the love story of Jason and Molly is kind of amazing in retrospect that's the title of the show because you know the fact that something this dramatic ha- happened and it was it worked out and you know if you're Chris you had this all these big secrets to keep you got to like talk to these people before they walked out into like their future together He's sitting there, and you can tell he's like, I'm part of this. I did this. You know, and he, it is incredibly weird, I imagine, for him and for them, that it's like, you know, Jason's telling Molly that he still loves her, and Chris Harrison's sitting there. They're kissing and getting back together, and Chris Harrison's there. Yeah. I would especially like to see Brad's first season in comparison to this, because it felt like not only do you have the dynamic you're talking about where he feels like he's part of the relationship in a new way because like normally Chris Harrison comes to rose ceremonies he doesn't sit there and watch you make out no right like I that's mean, not a- on the show in my personal life yes like it's a much it's a much less intimate relationship yeah. and that he yeah. is he has such an intimate hand in this reunion between Jason and Molly i feel like is a moment where he starts to kind of get high on the show's own supply. Yes, yes. And be like, this is love. We're making love. I personally am making love. I did this. 
at the same time, he is so gleefully relishing the audience's judgment of Jason mm-hmm. in The Women Tell All, the audience's judgment of people like Natalie, and the idea that he's a moral arbiter who like gets to do something to these people, right? And so declare what is okay and what is not okay in love and in interpersonal conflicts yeah and i think he's clearly enjoying that so much and i think that probably has been part of his job all along with previous villains with brad but i I would guess if i could see brad's season being really like informative for him jump like seeing people are angry and being like yes you are angry and i am your leader and kind of jumping on that bandwagon yeah (laughs) And it's, I mean, even the moments, like, we talked about his locker room talk moment with Jason early in The Women Tell mm-hmm. All. And, like, that feels like a, he's playing a different role than yeah. he is playing through most of this segment. And so I feel like he's still trying to figure that out. Yeah. Anyway, very important day for Chris. He does a lot of really wild stuff here. But the thing that was most notable to me is you really could see the birth of Chris Harrison feeling the love that happens on the show, I do that. <laughs> but when Chris is like, man, this is the first time this has happened for me. I don't even know what to do. Let's say he did know what to do. What would that be? <laughs> I mean, I, ethically, I feel like it's not pull up cameras, but like, yeah, television history is grateful that they did. But I do think like this could be like the Oscars where you realize maybe you don't even need a host at all because... <laughs> Chris Harrison didn't add anything. He didn't. He he sat there and soaked it up. I mean, the next time they do this, Chris Harrison is not there. But then Mm -hmm. when Pilot Pete does his mess, remember, he goes to Alabama to get Maddie. (laughs) So I feel like maybe he, like, missed his involvement in this part during the R.E.S. I don't know. And I think both thinking about sort of like these situations, this one here where they pulled up production to film something unexpectedly through the kind of series of weird bachelor endings that involved after the fact filming that were going on for several years there through things like I continue to talk about Scandal on Vanderpump Rules. One of the ways that I think reality television resonates most is when a show can, like, get itself back up to capture something in real time. I think that's one of the times it feels most authentic, and that's why our reactions to it are the most intense. Mm -hmm. Because there was not a show being filmed, and now suddenly there is a show being filmed because something happened that demanded we point cameras at it. And I think in pioneering that innovation here with the breakup, even though they said it in this studio audience with Chris Harrison... I feel like that's a very powerful thing to discover. And I feel like, you know, Chris Harrison is the least essential part of this giant discovery about making reality television that they've just had here. And I would want to, like, cling on to that, though, because as a, like, connoisseur of the reality television arts and sciences, there is nothing better than these moments as an audience member. And, like having had any part in it i feel like you want to like hold on to that feeling yeah i know i do i do too this season is so good season is really good so groundbreaking i really get now why people expect something because i feel like part of watching the bachelor is being so excited for every season 
and then being like, oh, this season sucked. The Bachelor sucked. Can't wait for next season. And then it all, you're, you can't believe who they chose. And then that person like grows on you a little bit. But then you're like, this sucked. And then they like do something horrible to screw up their public opinion yeah. near the end of the season. And then yeah. a few years later, you're like, God, that person wasn't that bad compared to this Bachelor. Right. And like the thing is that every time we do that, this is the high we are chasing. Right. I did, And I didn't realize that this was out there. I thought it was never good. I mean, not good, but I didn't think there was ever a Bachelor we actively l- liked and rooted for their love story and that felt it was real. And now I know. Yeah. All right. So what? aged the worst in this episode caesar i feel like there's so many answers to this question it's difficult yeah. there's caesar there's chris and natalie there's yeah. jason's mom talking about molly there's jason proposing to melissa there's i feel like i had at least one more the whole dichotomy of there's molly's and melissa's and melissa's yes. are mothers and molly's are career women yes there's um, so many bad things I think Caesar's probably the most egregious, though. Yeah, yeah. Also, Natalie saying she can't live without her BlackBerry or her iPod. Like, just, and the true definition of not aging well. That is true. That, I did write that down as, like, a possible contender, and then they brought Caesar out, and I was like, never mind. It's hard Um, to remember a world before Caesar. Yes. Well, there's a lot of competition for what aged the worst. I think there's an undisputed winner for what aged the best, and that's Jason dumping Melissa for Molly. Yes. And also how he did it, his conviction that it was the right thing to do. It would have really aged horribly if they broke up soon after. But also just the compared to the many, many disappointing bachelors we'll see following him, this all aged great. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine begrudging Jason for breaking up with someone he wasn't in love with to go after someone he was in love with. How can you be mad at that when we're in a world with like Clayton talking about like like telling like I I've been in love with all of you and I had sex with all of you except one and she's the one I want. <laughs> yeah. I mean Jason is a prince among bachelors. Yeah. We were really lucky to have him. Yeah. And people should have been more grateful at the time. I can't believe we were ever lucky enough to have Obama as president and Jason Mesnick as the bachelor. <laughs> Before we say goodbye, let's do one last check-in with the Bachelor class of 2009. Anne. Who is Anne, you may ask? Anne was eliminated night one. I do not remember what she looks like. Mm -hmm. But she is notable because she married Jesse, who Deanna picked over Jason in the finale of her Bachelorette season. And as far as I know, they are still married. Carrie with a K is who I had forgotten about until she showed up again in the finale episode here is an adult cheerleader and has been married for 12 years. She makes TikToks about adult cheerleading. I talked quite a bit about Megan back in episode one, but Megan lives in Charleston, South Carolina. She is an entrepreneur. She seems involved with or possibly to be dating someone involved in South Carolina democratic politics. Um, She's also one of the first contestants to do a lot of interviews about filming conditions and producer manipulation on The Bachelor. Nikki! I feel like with someone we really wanted follow up on, you know, her desire to be a mom really was a big theme in this season. And I got to say, 
While she will later appear on Bachelor Pad 1, she has gone to some lengths to protect her privacy. I don't want to violate her privacy, but she seems to have like a very beautiful life. Like Nikki, Natalie will be on Bachelor Pad 1. She's married, her social media is private, and she seems to have a really incredible career in the business side of the fashion world. She worked at Gucci for a long time and is currently at Aritzia. So she's doing really well for herself. Shannon's social media is all private now, but she was featured in a segment during the greatest seasons ever in 2020, and a couple of publications did some reporting based on her then public social media. So at that time, she had a boyfriend, was still a dental hygienist in Kansas City, was a big Kansas City sports fan, and was doing some stuff with Patrick Mahomes' charity. Stephanie, I was really excited for this one. She keeps a pretty low profile on social media. She was at least at some point married to a dude who brought some children from a previous relationship. Unclear if they are still married. But we did get some official updates from Stephanie back in 2020 because in the Greatest Seasons episode ever, she and Sophia did an on-camera interview with Chris and they seemed very happy. And Sophia said that she was going to be hitting up Ty on Instagram because she wanted to shoot her shot, which I thought was very cute. In an interview later, Jason said that Ty's reaction to that was that he felt like it would be weird if he dated the child of someone his dad had dated. So he didn't think Ty responded. I think dated is generous. Uh, Naomi got married in 2011. She had her first kid in 2013. She had this personal blog, which is still out there, called the songs of my soul and i really do mean personal this wasn't a case where she was like making a blog to monetize it it was really just her blogging about her life writing poetry writing some spiritual stories and things about like religion sharing photos she stopped blogging in 2014 and fell off the face of the earth i can't find any evidence that she still exists i think it's very likely that like a lot of other people if she has social media it's privated and i think that's fair so not maintaining a private profile at all, of course, is Jillian. She becomes The Bachelorette. Her season was great. She's had a career continuing on with her like interior design work, especially on interior design TV. Most notably, she was the co-host of Love It or List at Vancouver for HGTV. And she has two children with her fiancé and longtime partner, Justin Pesuto. Melissa, of course, had a huge groundswell of public support after being dumped. She went on Dancing with the Stars, where she finished third, then later came back for All-Stars and won. She has been a host for a lot of things, including the Dancing with the Stars live tour. But I think, interestingly for us, she got engaged to her ex-boyfriend, Ty, in June 2009, just a couple of months after the finale. They have three kids. They also had a one-season CMT reality show called Melissa and Ty. Melissa Never became a first grade teacher. She's mostly been working in hosting. She's done podcasts, a syndicated TV show, and hosted a CMT reality show called Redneck Island. And of course, last but far from least, Molly and Jason remain married to this day. Ty is headed off to college this fall. They have another daughter, Riley. They work together in real estate at the Mesnick Group, which is their company, Molly also, for most of the time since she came to Seattle, worked in radio. She was a DJ on KISS FM. And she actually 
co-hosted the morning show with the dude from the Seattle episode whose radio show they went on. She replaced his co-host and they had a morning show together for many, many years. <laughs> wow. Um, but they are happily married and my favorite Bachelor story. Congratulations to the alumni of The Bachelor season 13. It's going to be hard to top. Really is. This was a great place to start. Yeah. So now we have terrible news, which is that, try as we might, we could not track down Jillian Harris's season of The Bachelorette. From the next season of Bachelor going forward, everything's available on Apple TV or Amazon, but they are trying to keep Jillian's season of The Bachelorette from us. It was at one point on Hulu, and I have seen it, and it was a great season. I retain enough about it that I'll be able to tell you what matters. But unfortunately, we will be skipping ahead to Jake Pavelka's season, The Bachelor on the Wings of Love. Yeah. And, you know, we'll say more then, but I have a feeling it's not going to feel as good in the end as this one did. I mean, I'm going to say personally, I'm looking forward to it. So far on this podcast, I have been really cheerleading for men. And Jake Pavelka will really not force me to do that yeah, anymore. It's going to be a Thanks, good Jake. palate cleanser. We'll see you next time for part one of Jake Pavelka's season. And if you want to watch along with us, I think this season is on Hulu. Or you can buy them on Amazon or Apple TV. But why buy them when we're going to describe them to you? We'll see you next time. Bye.